Chapter 27 of Mabel Ross, The Sewing Girl. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 27 The First Floor Lodger. As Hilda was about to pass this woman, the latter glanced up at her, and within the old black bonnet, the young girl recognized the face of the first floor lodger of the house in which she and her sisters had the upper room. This woman had only occupied the apartment referred to for a short time back, it having previously been the workroom of a humble bootmaker. Until the present moment, no chance had brought the first and second floor lodgers in contact. Though the person of the old woman was not unknown to Hilda and her sister, they, having several times observed her from their window, going from and returning to her home. Pausing in her occupation, the woman gave a nod of recognition and a good morning to Hilda, both of which the latter returned in the same friendly way they were bestowed. Hilda would then have passed on, but that her new acquaintance followed up her salutation with a request that she should give her the aid of her arm to the house, saying that her lameness, she was something of a cripple, troubled her more than common this morning. The young arm was readily placed at her disposal, and in this way the two arrived at the house together, the old woman's tongue running quite briskly during their short walk. We must get better acquainted, said the latter, as they reached and entered the door. Why can't you come in a bit and talk with me now? I like young girls, and I'm all alone, you know. Hilda felt a little put out at the proposal, for she was in no humor for a visit, especially to a stranger. But a glance at the pale, withered face of her companion stayed the refusal on her lips. I will come in for a very little bit, she replied. But I've been from home some time, and I must return to my sister's. Ah, don't I want to hear all about you and your sisters? rejoined the woman, who had now led the way into her room. Here a good fire was burning, contrary to the expectation of Hilda, who had received the impression that the newly gathered chips were for the purpose of starting one. The first-floor lodger seemed to understand the thought of her visitor, as the eye of the latter fell upon the bright firelight for as she set her basket aside in a corner, she remarked, I'm not so silly, you see, as to wait, like some, to gather my chips till I want them. If I did, where would be the good fire to warm me when I come in from the gathering? But not wanting them, I wonder you went out in the snow to gather them, returned Hilda, accepting the seat by the fire offered her by her hostess. It don't differ much now, snow, rain, or dry, was the rejoinder. It comes all one to a body, toughened up as I am. Besides this, I saw the snow was likely to be a long one, and the chips would be getting deeper covered up every hour. But that's not what I want to talk about, she added, but about you and your sisters. I've been watching you two pretty sharp for it's a sort of company to me, living so all alone, to be noticing the ways of them about me. Now, I saw you when you went out this morning. I saw you turn back after you got off from the door and give a look up at the window. Then I knew your sister was there looking after you. I felt bad too for a while, thinking of how there was no one to look after me, and how there hadn't been for years, and how, for all that, I came from a bigger family of sisters than one often meets with. But changes, you see, and growing poor and old. But it's you and your sisters I want to talk about, 
she said, a second time checking the disposition to ramble in her discourse. When you looked up at the window, you had such a look on your face as made me sure you were after something that seemed big and hopeful to you, and I thought to myself, that black-haired one's got pluck enough in her for two grown women. She's more in her and can bear a sight more than the pale-faced one. But how then's this? You came back looking almost as pale as her, for all your bright looks a while ago. Now, thinks I, when I see you, she's met with some trouble, this black-haired one, and I'd like, more than a little, to know what it is. And why shouldn't I, dearie? It's sometimes a comfort, just the telling what's on one's mind. And if you tell me what's wrong, right up and down, you'll find I have a heart to feel for you, though I am but a miserable old woman. Hilda would have found it difficult to explain what there was about her new acquaintance which awakened her confidence. And perhaps, indeed, she was influenced by nothing more than the wish to talk freely to someone. But before she had well thought what she was doing, the story of her visits of the morning were poured forth to the ear of her listener. Whether the latter clearly understood who was Cousin Algin, and who the Mr. Dunfield, who played such important parts in the relation, it is impossible to say. But her ready sympathy was awakened for the young girl, who told her story with such impetuosity of feeling, and, upon its conclusion, she expressed her conviction that these parties had severally acted very badly, especially regarding the point of the young narrator's sanity, which she, Mrs. Moppet, declared to be untouched beyond shadow of doubt. In the progress of the story, there naturally came out the peculiar trials under which the upper-room lodgers were suffering, the difficulty of procuring work, the unhappy condition of poor little Lily, and the loss of time incurred by Hilda herself through the injury to her hand, this loss of time being a particular matter of regret because it had resulted in the loss of her place in the sail loft. Hilda spoke of the patient and cheerful submission of Mabel to the hard tasks imposed on her through poverty and the afflictions of the little Lily. "'You think I have so much in me, and that I can bear more than my sister?' she said. "'But that is because you don't know Mabel. She looks as delicate as though a strong wind might blow her away, but she's so stout of heart, and so steady in her faith in all good things,' that she can stand up bravely to a thing that knocks me off my feet. Where I complain or cry or get angry, she sits quietly down and thinks the trouble over, and though her face grows paler and her eyes get to have more and more that look of being fixed on something far off, something she's not a bit afraid to look at, though, she grows with every day, stronger to bear and forbear. She's a good girl, returned the first-floor lodger, and I warrant you she's happier this minute than many a one that gets plenty of what's called the good things of this life. In return for the communication made herself, Mrs. Moppet confided to her young visitor some particulars of her past and present life. She had had many friends in her younger days, she said, but one only remained to her now. This was a person in whose family she had been nurse, and whose interest in her continued unshaken through the lapse of years. "'I nursed her baby,' she said, 
and I helped nurse her husband in his last illness. Well, from the time he was gone, she settled her heart on the child in a way I never yet saw even a mother do. If that child had lived, Barbara Strand would have been most like a different woman than she is at this day, for though her heart's all right as heart can be, and she's always wanting to do good, there's such a running of her head on past times and past troubles that the good she wants to do slips away from her. Though it's not me ought to say that neither, for come what may, she stands to helping me. If it wasn't for her, I'd have no roof over my head or a bit to eat and put on me this day. But then I nursed her child, and she can't forget that, because it's the point she's always turning on. That poor little girl was the best part of three years dying, and all the time the mother a-hoping it would yet be up again. But the bad turn came at last, and after that there was no more hope in this life for Barbara Strand. Hilda heard the story to its conclusion, though certainly not with her mind upon it, for an ugly, remorseful feeling was at her heart, reminding her how long had been her stay from the presence of her sisters. Soon as, with good feeling to her hostess, she could do so, she hurried to leave her. "'Come, see me again,' said Mrs. Moppet, as the door was about to close on her. "'I'd like to come up and see you and your sister and the sick child.' only I can't, because of the steepness of the stairs for my lame foot. Hilda made the best she could of her disappointments of the morning to Mabel. As the latter had looked for nothing favorable as the result of her sister's visit to Mrs. Kingsley, she was neither surprised nor chagrined that it had ended in nothing satisfactory. As regarded her visit to Mr. Dunfield, Hilda made no communication whatever. That visit touched on her secret, and might possibly prove a clue to it. She did tell, however, how she had made the acquaintance of their first-floor lodger, and how the visit to her, which followed, had delayed her return to her sister's room. It is needless to say, Hilda saw fit to withhold the confidence regarding her cousin Algin's affair, which she had thoughtlessly reposed in Mrs. Moppet. She was too far from approving her conduct in that particular herself to believe it possible it could meet the approbation of the more prudent Mabel. Desirous to hide from Mabel how much she was impressed by her ill success of the morning, she affected a cheerfulness she did not feel, speaking hopefully of the new efforts she was to make on the morrow to procure work for them both. Now that the doctor says I can use my hand freely, I don't feel so badly about how things are going with us, Mabel she said. If I can get any work at all, I shall do as well as I did at the old sail loft. And if I'd got a place there again, it might only have ended in my getting another hurt. I somehow feel as though tomorrow were going to bring it all right. Whatever ground Hilda may have had for her hopes, it did not prove fallacious, for, by early the next afternoon, she had a tolerably good supply of vests for Mabel and a still better one of shirts for herself. At the latter, she designed to work on such occasions as Mabel was not in use of the sewing machine. She found more opportunity so to employ herself than she had expected, Mabel being at little leisure for sewing on account of Lily becoming alarmingly worse. Except while under the influence of soothing drugs, the child was for several days in constant pain. 
The doctor had given Mabel to understand that such changes as these were to be looked for, yet her distress was so great that she could not rest satisfied till Hilda had brought him to the little sufferer. To her question whether he could think of no new remedy, he replied that there was no relief to be found but in morphine, and that she must considerably enlarge the doses. Under his direction, too, she found that by watching the symptoms of her little patient, she could, in a measure, anticipate the spells of more acute suffering, and retard them by the medicine. At such times as, soothed by this, little Lily lay in a condition of comparative ease, Mabel would repair to her sewing machine and make what progress she could at her work. It was becoming more particularly needful she should soon accomplish something at this, as the increased indisposition of the child was making inroads upon the seven dollars laid by for the coming rent day. Poor girl! In making up her account for the expenditure of the fifteen dollars procured upon her watch, she had not foreseen this unhappy change in the condition of her little charge. Though, as she said to herself now, had she foreseen it, what difference could she have made, except in not parting with quite so much at the one time for her coal? It was the afternoon of the fourth day of little Lily's attack, and the child lay in partial relief from suffering, the hand of Mabel clasped in her own. But for this affectionate hold, Mabel would have been at her work. For, in getting some of her vests completed by the afternoon of the following Monday, lay all her hope of making up, even in part, the deficit of her rent money in time to prevent the house agent coming after it. Mabel had for some time looked upon the closed eyes of the little Lily, with the half-formed resolve to slip away her hand and repair to her sewing machine, before she finally made the move to do so. At the first attempt, however, to disengage herself, the child's eyes partly unclosed, and a little murmur of complaint issued from the pale lips. Then Mabel knew that Lily was not so soundly asleep, but that she was quite conscious of having her hand in her own, and would not renew the attempt to leave her. "'I shall get some time yet at my shirts,' remarked Hilda, who, from her place before the sewing machine, had been observant of what was passing. "'And, though it don't tell nearly so well as your work, Mabel, I shall make just seven cents apiece on these shirts. It's better than nothing being done.' "'It is time I should take your place,' returned her sister. "'Yet I can't bear to leave the poor child.' Dear little Lily, if it be a comfort to her to have me by her, I cannot deprive her of it. Faintly as the words were spoken, they were evidently heard by the little girl. For half opening her eyes, she fixed them lovingly upon her faithful nurse, then, reclosing them, gave a slight pressure of her sister's hand and released it. How kind and good is my little Lily, whispered Mabel and she bent to press a kiss upon the child's lips before leaving her. At that moment there came a slight knock at the door of the room. So unusual a circumstance startled the two girls, and in place of rising to open to the applicant, they retained their seats, exchanging a rather uneasy glance. It certainly was not the doctor, for he had left them not very long before. Neither could it be that dreaded person, the landlord, for happily his rent was not yet due. There was little time for conjecture who else it might possibly be, for very soon upon the knock followed the opening of the door, and slowly upon this, the entrance of a person quite unknown to the inhabitants of the room. End of chapter 27